Hello and welcome to Season 5 of Wait a Week Mystery. This is your host and author, J.C. Bodden. If you've been with me before, you'll know that each week I present a chapter from one of my novels. I've done four seasons so far, one for each of the first four books, which are part of the Devlin O'Quinn Mystery series. This season is starting on the first book in my newest series. The series is called Devlin's Legacy, and it details the adventures of the next generation, if you will. This particular novel is entitled Echo Chamber. If for some reason you're joining us in the middle of things, first of all, welcome. But you might want to go back and start at the beginning, or at least at the beginning of the season, to get the full story. At any rate, I hope you enjoy what you hear and come back each week for more. And if you like what you hear and can't wait a week for the next chapter, you can check out my website, jcbodden.com, for ordering information. All of my books are available in both Kindle and print-on-demand paperback format from Amazon. You'll find a link in the podcast info. Now let's not wait any longer. Here we go with episode 509, Echo Chamber, Chapter 9, Saturday Afternoon. Quinn, you want to tell me what the hell happened? Avery usually shied away from confrontation, but she was seriously weirded out. For his part, Quinn looked mildly sheepish. Yeah, Avery, I'll tell you. He gestured toward the stools by the microscopes. Let's sit. When they were both seated, he frowned for a moment before asking, What do you know about Risa Quinn, Avery? She huffed out an exasperated breath, but when he said nothing else, she answered, He's your uncle, your mother's half-brother by your grandfather's second wife. He's two years younger than you and nearly the exact same age as your sister Tess. Quinn raised his eyebrow at her. You know a lot about my confusing family tree. She shrugged. Just in case you've forgotten, y'all are pretty damn famous in this town. Not to mention the fact that they made a movie about your family and its tree. Quinn grinned in reply. Oh, yeah, fair point. But what do you know about Reese as a public figure? He's a very successful novelist. There's been talk about turning Backscatter into a movie. More fame for that family tree of yours. Anything else? I mean, about him personally? Tabloid stuff, I mean. She thought for a moment. Well, she hesitated. She really didn't want to insult the man, or Quinn for that matter. He's fairly well known as a germaphobe. Quinn nodded. Why do you say that? In for a penny, in for a pound, she thought. He doesn't shake hands. He rarely eats out. I've even read that when he goes on tour, he brings his own sleeping bag rather than sleep on hotel sheets. If Quinn noticed her blush, he didn't show it. Instead, he nodded again even more vigorously. Then he surprised her by saying, No. No? He shook his head. No. What part is no? The part about Reese being a germaphobic. Okay, so he doesn't take a sleeping bag on tour. I mean, I just saw that in some article I was reading about his latest book. But Quinn, what does any of this have to do with what just happened? He does take a sleeping bag. It's just not because he's afraid of germs. He's afraid of other people, of touching the stuff that other people have touched. Avery rubbed her hand across her forehead. Quinn, after last night at Nikki's parents' house, I'm operating on too little sleep, so I'm not following you very well. How does being afraid of touching people or their stuff not equate to being a germaphobe? I mean, maybe you could just tell me what you mean, like spell it out for me. 
He's not germaphobic. He's psychic. Avery couldn't help it. She laughed. When she looked at Quinn's face, she laughed some more. You said you wouldn't laugh, Quinn said, frowning and blinking. I know I did, but that was when I thought you were going to tell me the truth. She paused and waited for Quinn to chuckle. When he didn't, she continued, You can't be serious? Listen, Avery, no one knows this. You're the first person I've told, in fact. Nikki doesn't even know. He paused and shuddered. It's a family secret, but I'm telling you because... Quinn stopped, suddenly realizing that he didn't actually know why he was telling her. She wouldn't believe it, after all. She was too logical, thinking like the scientist that she was. And it was true, as blind as he had been about Nikki, he had never once considered telling her about Reese's gift. It would have seemed like some sort of breach of the family code. But now he wanted to explain to Avery. It felt right somehow to explain it to her, despite her skepticism. He pushed aside the question of why that was so, telling himself he would examine his motives later. Right now he wanted, needed, her to understand it. Reese has what some people would call psychic ability. We usually just call it the gift, although to be fair, Reese calls it his curse. Whatever you want to call it, he gets these visions. Sometimes they're about the past and sometimes about the future. They are especially likely whenever he touches other people, which is why he doesn't shake hands or touch the things they've been using. He never really knows when these images are going to happen, Quinn shrugged. It's easier to let the public think that he's afraid of germs. We didn't know if it would work with the letter, but we suggested it to him, and he agreed to give it a try. It took Avery several seconds to realize that she was staring at Quinn with her mouth open. She closed it. Her rational brain had taken in Quinn's words and summarily rejected them. But she had seen with her own eyes what had happened after Reese had held the paper. He had said that the women were fine and that they would be getting a text to that effect. Then, about 30 seconds later, Reese's phone had pinged with a message from Gabby saying that a squad car had picked her and Amy up and was en route to the station with them, unharmed. But she started and then stopped, unsure what to say. Did you run the DNA from the letter against Xenia's? Yes. And? And, yeah, okay, it's a familial match. A male. Quinn nodded. Xenia has a fraternal twin brother. Okay, good. Now Connor can work on getting an arrest warrant for the little bastard based on those results. Avery rubbed her forehead. Okay, but... Well, we can't very well use Reese's vision as the basis for a warrant, so the DNA evidence is important. Okay, yeah, I get that, but... Remember when we were interviewing Nikki and I asked her about taking the photos in Swink's room? Quinn asked. She nodded mutely. Remember you asked me how I came up with that guess? I didn't. Reese had a vision about that. Yeah, was all she could manage. And he... He knew that his car was going to explode right before it did. That's why he ran up the hill and pulled Tess out of it. Quinn ran his fingers through his hair, making the end stick up. Luke Sanderson, the doctor who lives across the street, heard him hollering and basically accused him of making the car explode. But he didn't, of course. He just knew it was about to happen. She cleared her throat before answering. Okay. This time she managed to make her voice sound a little less skeptical, more matter-of-fact. After all, this was Quinn talking to her. If he believed what he was telling her, then she would do her best to accept it, even if she found it... 
Well, it was simply preposterous, that's all. So, so Connor and I are going to go serve in a restaurant to Mr. Shawnee Green. He smiled grimly at her and then leaned over and pecked her on the cheek before he left. Today, when Xenia Green looked out her window and saw the Halliday brothers climbing her porch steps, she knew exactly which one was which. Connor sported the same dark aviator-style sunglasses he had worn the day he watched her get fired. She was surprised that they were coming to arrest her, and for a wild three or four seconds she had considered fleeing out the back door. But she told herself that the only thing more humiliating than being arrested by Connor Halliday would be him chasing her down and tackling her in the yard. She studied the men through the security window beside the door. Each wore a Kevlar vest, Auburn police emblazoned across the front. Behind them stood two uniformed officers. She opened the front door as Quinn was raising his hand, before he had a chance to knock. Yes, she said, somewhat surprised that her voice didn't tremble. At least not much. Xenia. Quinn lowered his hand, placing it on the gun strap to his hip. Miss Green. Yes, she repeated, keeping her eyes on him. For some reason that she couldn't have explained, she couldn't look at Connor. Quinn cleared his throat and glanced at his twin. Connor's face was an inscrutable mask, his sunglasses still in place. Is your brother, Shawnee Green, here? There was a long pause as this question sank in. It certainly wasn't what she had expected Quinn to say. What? was the only answer she could come up with as her brain stumbled over itself. Your brother, Shawnee, is he here? Quinn sounded businesslike, almost gruff. My brother. Xenia was still reeling from this unexpected turn of events. Yeah, he's... While she was still in the process of answering, Connor roughly grabbed her arm, yanking her off her feet and through the door. She stumbled against his massive form, opening her mouth to ask him what the hell he thought he was doing. Then, all hell broke loose. With an impossibly loud boom, the door frame exploded, and she ducked instinctively. The next thing she knew, she was face down on the rough slats of the porch, Connor's heavy form on top of her. A confusion of voices sounded behind her. Gun! Shots fired! Police! Drop your weapon! Drop the gun! Now! There was a sound that seemed familiar, but that she couldn't quite place, followed by another loud bang. She felt Connor flinch against her, heard him grunt. She bucked underneath him, trying her best to wiggle free. He put one big hand on the back of her neck. Be still, he growled in her ear. I'm not going to let him fucking hurt you. What? Who? she asked, her voice sounding very small, even to her own ears. She heard that familiar sound again, and this time she recognized it for what it was. The unmistakable sound of a pump-action 12-gauge chambering around. She tried to make herself as small as possible, squeezing her eyes shut. But this time, there was no boom. Instead, there were an impossible number of pops, quieter, but somehow much more lethal sounding. When the noise stopped, she opened her eyes. Connor's sunglasses lay on the porch, inches from her face. Her scrambled brain tried to make sense of the fact that they seemed to be splattered with wet, red paint. Avery Wharton willed her hands to stop trembling. She had a job to do a very serious job. The carnage in the home that Xenia Green had shared with her twin brother Shawnee had to be recorded and cataloged. It was crucial that she was meticulous. Every shooting, especially those in which someone had been killed, required a high level of professionalism, and she prided herself on her work. 
But this particular scene involved an officer from her department, and those were even more rigorously examined, especially in this day and age. There was absolutely no room for error. The department needed her. Quinn needed her. He had been there, still on the scene, when she and Josh arrived. She knew that, in all likelihood, he had fired the fatal shots. Because he and Connor had been standing on the porch, the two uniformed officers had not had a clear line of fire to the shotgun-blasting Shawnee Green. It had nearly broken her heart, the look Quinn had given her as he left in the back of the black-and-white cruiser, following the ambulance carrying Connor to the hospital. With a silent prayer that both Quinn and Connor would be all right, she bent down and placed another marker, the fifth so far, this one beside Connor's broken and blood-splattered glasses on the porch. Reese ran a shaking hand across the back of his neck and then looked across the room at his father. Dad, he said, his face pale and his voice quiet. Call Jenny and Joe. They need to meet us at the hospital. He watched his devil and pulled his cell phone from his pocket and then he stood, grabbing Gabby's hand as he did so. It's Connor. He's been shot. Luke Sanderson's hands were steady as he worked on the big redhead on his ER room gurney, despite the fact that this was a person he knew. That didn't matter, not really. Nor did it matter that this man was the older brother of the enigmatically beautiful Tess Halliday. No, the only thing that mattered right now was that his patient needed him. Quinn's hand shook as he handed his service weapon to Chief Sullivan. Embarrassed, he stuffed it in his pocket as soon as it was empty. Sully placed his hand gently on the young man's shoulder. This is just a formality, you know that, right? Quinn had trouble meeting his boss's eye. Yes, sir, he muttered. Now the chief squeezed Quinn's shoulder. We have to investigate, son, you know that. But I don't want you to worry. This is going to turn out to be a righteous shoot. The only thing you need to worry about now is helping your brother get better. We've got everything else. His grandfather leaned forward. Quinn, he said. He waited until Quinn raised his eyes to his. Sir? You know you did what you had to do, he said calmly. You saved your brother's life. Xenia's too. I know. I just wish I hadn't had to choose between her twin and mine. Yeah, well, Devlin shrugged harshly. No one messes with your family. No one. That concludes this week's chapter of Echo Chamber. Thanks for listening. To find out what happens next and the exciting conclusion, please come back for episode 510 of Wait a Week Mystery or visit jcbodden.com to order the book. And, as always, I hope your wait is a happy one.